I'm so glad to be in the house tonight. So glad to see you in the house tonight. I don't say that lightly. Actually, um, I just totally enjoy my time uh, on Sunday mornings. Obviously, we just um, rock out every Sunday around here, and who couldn't enjoy that? But I have to tell you, I enjoy our Wednesday nights. And I, again, I've said this before, but I just appreciate the dedication of our singers and our musicians who come here long before church starts and practice and and lead us in worship. Brother Caleb uh, Hill Sunday told us that um, God inhabits the praise of his people. We know that. He emphasized that. But when we start to praise God, he comes down and he inhabits that praise. And I just hate to tell you, but so many times recently on Wednesday night, I've come in here, I just really didn't even feel like being here. I was just kind of numb, and I just felt like the world had really taken some serious punches on me. But when I got here and we started worshiping, it was pretty obvious. I could just, at a certain moment, I can just feel that God moves in and starts to flow and to touch my soul. I appreciate that. But obviously, uh, this week I have been basking in the in the glow from what we saw and heard on Sunday. Caleb Hill did an amazing job uh, preaching to us. I was so uplifted by him talking about the miracles and what God has done and who he is and everything that's come my way this week. Uh, I have thought, wow, this is who God is, and he is able to do what I need him to right now. And I've seen, in addition to what I've done and trying to prepare for tonight, just as I go through life and a, a couple of circumstances have come to me this week, wow, there was a verse. There was a, an inspiration that I needed to get through that moment and to bring me to the next level, and I'm just thankful for that. But let me uh, go ahead and say a prayer, and then we will jump right in tonight. Dear God, thank you for allowing us to be in the house. Thank you for everyone that has come here. I know that you have anointed your word already. You have called all of us here, and I believe you've spoken to me, and you want me to deliver a word to your people, just helping to open our hearts and our minds and to receive and understand what it is that you want us to see tonight in Jesus' name. So I want to begin in Joshua, and I think you will probably um, quickly realize that this is uh, Somewhat along the, the lines of a Bible study, you know, on Wednesday nights, sometimes we slow it down. Pastors going into the Word, digging really deep. We won't be digging nearly that deep tonight. But uh, we do a lot of Bible study on Wednesday night, and there's so much depth there and so much to be learned. But I'd like to begin with uh, Joshua. And uh, in, in the 24th chapter, I will read a couple of verses in the beginning of that chapter and then uh, move closer uh, further into the chapter. So in Joshua 24, it says, Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. And then for the time being, I want to move to verse 15. We'll come back and cover some of the other verses later, but it says in verse 15, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And tonight I want to 
preach just for a moment. As for you and your household, who will you serve? And for those of you that were here, if you'll notice, I have Brother Brendan's full attention now. Uh, for those of you that were here last Wednesday and were, were kind of paying attention, this is the verse that he read about halfway through his sermon there last week. And so God had been speaking to me about this topic for a few weeks. And um, so I was sitting back there. Frankly, I had Joshua 24 open in my Bible. I was kind of glancing at it last Wednesday night during church. And Brendan works his way right around to this very verse and reads it and starts preaching. And I'm like, my heart sank. I'm like, wow. But then he uh, fortunately moved off of it pretty quickly. So hopefully he left me just a little room there. But maybe God wants us to focus on this. But for several weeks, actually, God has been talking to me about this topic. And with my topic, as for you and your household, who will you serve? You can tell that we're talking about families. But this is a topic that we hear pastor talking about often. He says God moves in families. All the time he's saying God moves in families. And that gets my attention. So I want to focus on that a little bit tonight. And frankly, uh, you know, this may apply to some here more than others. I believe it may apply to most of us. Frankly, my wife and I, we have worked in groups um, with married couples, and we just had an amazing group that we finished up not too long ago, and there were some awesome young couples. And I think I'm so excited to, to show them what the Word says about God moving in families. But there's also some people maybe in midlife, and maybe they're needing a little bit more direction with their families, and I believe the Word speaks to that. There's also some older people here who I believe are going to support me tonight. I might have to call you out, but um, God moves in families. And you know, I don't pretend to have a very deep understanding of this, but what I want to do is just look at a lot of families in the Bible and see what this says. But I think this topic is really deep. We won't be able to, I won't be able to barely scratch the surface tonight. But I think a couple of fundamental points come out here. One, when God moves in families, a lot of time he moves in families and he touches and blesses and leads and prospers heals that family and those members. The other fundamental aspect of that is you will see in the word quickly that God uses the family institution to evangelize the world and to do his work. So you would say, well, why does God use families? You know, God, he can just speak the word and create the earth. He can just speak and there's light. Why does he use families? Well, he created the family. And there are some dynamics that are present in the family that make this the prime institution for doing God's work. So I want us to just jump in and talk about that. To begin, uh, I wanted to look at just the family unit and see basically how it functions. So I want to uh, talk about a couple of secular families before I jump into the Word and start looking at some biblical families. But I've done just a little bit of research, and I found this one family uh, who was involved in American politics. And at least one member of this family has held federal elective office every year since 1947. And just for quick math, that's one quarter of the time that the United States has been in existence. So this family was started by Joseph P. Sr. and Rose. Patrick Joseph 
Sr. was a member of the Massachusetts House of Representatives, the Massachusetts Senate. This goes all the way back to 1884. Joseph Patrick Sr. was the chairman of the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, the chairman of the United States Maritime Commission, United States Ambassador to the United Kingdom. John Fitzgerald was a member of the United States House of Representatives, United States Senator and President of the United States. Caroline was the United States Ambassador to Japan. Maria was the First Lady of California. Anybody got a clue who we're talking about here tonight? Robert Francis was the United States Attorney General. Kathleen was Lieutenant Governor of Maryland. Joseph P. II was a member of the United States House of Representatives. Joseph P. III was a member of the United States uh, Representative from Massachusetts. Gene was the United States Ambassador to Ireland. Edward Moore was the United States Senator from 1962 through 2009 at the time of his death. Edward M. Jr. was a member of the Connecticut Senate from 2015 to the present, and I believe we might have seen him given the response to the presidential address recently. So a lot of details here. Anybody got a clue who I'm talking about? This is the Kennedy family. So sorry, I, I had to go through so many details there. Forgive me, but I'm trying to make a point. Joseph P. Kennedy Sr. and Rose Kennedy they made a choice back in the late 1800s, and their choice was we're going to focus on American politics. I think it's fair to say that this family has impacted American culture, and I'm not here tonight to say how good the, this family is or if they have any weaknesses. That's not my point. I'm just wanting to look at a lot of different families tonight and see what I can learn, what I can do in my family from what I'm seeing. But suffice it to say these two people – they focused on politics, and I think they made an impact on their family for sure, and I believe they made an impact on my family. The next family that I will take a quick look at begins with the patriarch. We'll call him Archie. He was an American football quarterback. He played in the professional uh, leagues for 13 seasons. He was a, a quarterback for the New Orleans Saints, Houston Oilers, and Minnesota Vikings. Played college football at Ole Miss Rebels. He was in the College Hall of Fame. He was the second overall pick. We got some sport fans. I got their attention now. He was the second overall pick in the 1971 NFL draft. In the first year he was in the league in 1972, he led the league in pass attempts, completions, the National Football Conference in passing yards, and notwithstanding all that, the first year the guy's playing, he leads in all these categories, and his team record was 2-11. and 11. In 1978, he was the player of the year. He made the Pro Bowl twice. And the most amazing statistic that I learned about Archie, he never played on a winning team, and he never went to the playoffs a single time. I'm not a, a great sports fan. I don't know all about it, but for those of you who possibly, if there's anybody here that could know less than me, a winning record, I believe that means just there never was even a year where he had more wins than he had losses. He always lost more games than he won, and he never made it to the playoffs. So you would think, surely, he gave up. But he didn't. The next member of that family is Peyton. He played in 18 NFL seasons. Uh, he led the Tennessee Volunteers uh, to the SEC Championship before he went to the pros. He was selected first overall pick in, what was that, 19... 88, I guess it was. He holds a number of individual records in the sport of football, the most career passing yards, the most career touchdown passes, most touchdown passes. Most, I'm sorry if you don't like these people. They're not my heroes. These are just – this is a family that made a difference that I want to take a look at. His, his 
statistics go on for several pages here. I, can't, I won't possibly even get to those. Most passing yards in a season, highest career passing TDs, first quarterback to defeat the every other 31 professional teams in the regular season, and the most MVP awards, five of them. <coughs> There's one more member of the family we'll talk about, Eli. Eli was also American football quarterback. He was drafted first overall pick in 2004, even after Archie didn't give up. This is two more members of his family that are still following along behind him. He holds the Giants franchise records for passing yards, touchdown passes, completed passes in a career. He played in two Super Bowls, won both of those, and was the most valuable player. All of this because a father, you know this is Archie Manning that I'm talking about. Again, I don't care if you like Archie. They're not my heroes or anything, but they're a family that I can learn something from. All of this because Archie Manning chose for his family to focus on football. And again, I'm not saying they didn't focus on God or anything else, but at least we can confirm today they focused on football. And that was with, even with Archie never playing on a winning team or going to the playoffs when some people would say he probably should give up. He didn't. His two sons came behind him, and this is their statistic. So I just, I'd like to play a little bit of what if tonight as we go through here. So after Archie didn't, have a winning season, and he didn't make it to the playoffs. What if he had given up on football after he failed in those areas? And what if he decided it's probably not worth it, maybe my family should go do something else? The other two members of that family, I'm not sure where they would be, but I'm just trying to show you tonight that possibly the reason God works in families, because there's something about a family dynamic. It's not found in many other institutions the way we work together. The way we're connected, it's a powerful institution. I think these two secular stories right here show us that the family is a powerful institution. I'm so glad for every one of these families that are here tonight, and I want to just look at some more families and see what it is that God would, would have us to see here. I want to go right to Acts 10 and talk about a man named Cornelius. In verse 10, <coughs> it says, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the man that was called the Italian Regiment, a devout man, one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously, who prayed to God always. Now, as I'm working through here, this jumps out to me. This was a good man right here. Cornelius in Acts 10. Uh, maybe this could be said about some here tonight. He was a devout man. He feared God with all his household. He had his family organized. They were all working together. He gave alms generously, and he prayed to God all the time. You'd think this guy's got it worked out. Well, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw in a vision an angel of God coming into him. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa. And sent for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging with Simon a Tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. Now, I just want us to, to pause to notice this was a good man. He had a good family, and they were doing a lot of good things. But God spoke to him and told him some things. He said, I want you to go find Peter, and he's going to tell you what you must do. And in another uh, part of that scripture, it says, he will tell you what you need to do, you and your household, to be saved. So 
I'm talking tonight about as I'm going through life, even if I think I'm doing good, if I'm trying to do what God wants me to do, God's probably going to speak to me. He's going to work through families. That's what Pastor's telling us. And he's going to do some other things. So we need to be listening for when he does that. And we need to be obedient to what he said. Uh, hastening along here, I won't read every bit of this scripture, but after God spoke to Cornelius and said, I want you to go catch up with Peter and he's going to tell you what you need to do to be saved. Well, the next day, as these men went on their journey toward Peter, it was about the sixth hour, and Peter went up on the housetop way across in another area to pray, and he fell into a trance, and he saw heaven open. And he's thinking on this vision in chapter in verse 17. says, while Peter wondered with himself what this vision has meant, the men that came from Cornelius to talk to Peter said, they knocked on the door. They told Peter, said, somebody's down here to talk to you. Peter goes down. He hooks up with the men. They go back to where Cornelius is, and when they got to um, back to Cornelius' house, and the following day, they entered Caesarea. Now, Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and his close friends. I'm just focusing on the family aspect. This was a good man. He had a family. God told him to do some things. Peter, He was sent for Peter. Peter came, and here he was with his family, and he had all of his friends and family ready to hear what Peter had to say to them. When Peter began to speak to them, this is in verse 33, uh, now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded to you. Um, and Peter started preaching to Cornelius' household. And verse 44 says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. These were good people. They were praying. They were giving. They were doing great things. Yet God sent Peter to talk to them and to bring them up to the next level. Cornelius was sensitive. He, he stopped when he had the vision, and he listened to what God was trying to do. I think in this congregation tonight, there are individuals who could well be the subject of a chapter just like this. You're good. You're praying. You're coming to church. you got your family working together. You're doing everything that God wants you to do. But yet, God sent Donovan along, and here he is up here. He's saying, God moves in families. He's telling you to do all kinds of things. So, Donovan gets up here and he says, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> I want you to worship more. You know, what What you think Cornelia said when the, when the God showed him in a vision? Well, I'm going to show you what you need to do to be saved. You're like, really? I'm doing all I can. God, I'm being good. Well, here you are. You might think you're really doing good. And Donovan's coming along saying, I want you to worship more. We say, I'm worshiping. Dang, what's, what's the deal? But pastor is moving us on to the next level. Pastor says, oh, he's been preaching about praise and worship. And he says, I want you to praise more. He said, there's some of you who are not comfortable worshiping and shouting and praising. I want you to try something. He said, if you're not used to that, I want you to clap your hands. If you're clapping your hands, well, I want you to raise your hands. He said, if you're raising your hand, I want you to raise both hands. If you're giving, I want you to give more. So, I'm trying to make this a tad entertaining, and it only, yeah, I'm sure it is only a tad entertaining, but I am not going to call any. I'm, I'm going to do my best not to embarrass anybody tonight, but as I go through this congregation, I see people, and I see the way they worship, and I see what they do, and I saw these are good people. These are great people that could be said just what they said about Cornelius, but when pastor said, I want you to do something else, I saw these people. These people, they used to pray like this. Guess what? They pray like this. They pray like this. 
people that used to jump like this. Now they jump like this. These people are responding to what God is, the word that God is sending them. Just looking at families and how they respond to what God tells them. Some people respond. Some people do not respond. The next family scenario uh, and, and individual I want to speak quickly about is what's referred to in the Bible as the rich young ruler. Many of you know about these accounts, but let's focus on those just for a minute. And um, I believe this must be, what is this, Matthew uh, chapter 19 and verse 16. Now behold, one came and said to him, good teacher, what good thing shall I do to have eternal life? So he said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good, but one that is God. But if you want to enter uh, but if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you should not murder. You should not commit adultery. You should not steal. You should not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? You see some similarities in the way that God is speaking to these people. He came to a good man, Cornelius, and he told him to do more. He came to this good young ruler. The man was keeping all the commandments, and he tells him he wants him to do more. And Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Well, what did the young, rich young ruler do? But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. That's why I'm here tonight celebrating what I see many families in this place doing when pastors challenging you to move this on to the next level. This guy was not willing to do what was asked of him. So back to my topic tonight. As for you and your household, who will you serve? So what if? What if the rich young ruler and his family had responded to what Jesus requested? Maybe there would be much more written about the rich young ruler. In my Bible, I have from verse 16 to verse 22 about the rich young ruler. I know nothing more about the rich young ruler. As far as I can tell, he was never mentioned again in the Bible anywhere. Is that what I want to be said about my family? That God spoke to me and tried to use my family, and I would not make myself available, and I would not listen, and nothing else was written about my family after that? Just trying to encourage you to respond to what, <coughs> what God is talking to us about. Jumping quickly um, to the next family that I would like to look at in the Word. This is Genesis 6 uh, and verse 9 about Noah. This is a genealogy of Noah. Moving to verse 11, the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Verse 13, and God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Here it is, we have another family and another man who is an honorable guy he's trying to do right and God sends a word to him and tells him what to do and tells him some really weird stuff like building a big ship and like the whole world is going to be 
a whole earth is going to be purged. In verse 22, thus Noah did, according to all God commanded him, so he did. Then on to verse 7, then the Lord said to Noah, come into the ark, you and all your household. Verse 5 of chapter 7, and Noah did according to all the Lord commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the waters came on the earth. Very important in verse 7. So Noah with his sons, his wives, and his sons' wives went into the ark because of the waters of the flood. This is a man that's listening to what God tells him, and he's complying. Verse 21, and all flesh, we know what happened in the flood, and all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds and cattle and every beast and creeping thing that creeps on the earth, and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life, all that was on the dry land died. So he destroyed all living things which are on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping thing. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. Then in chapter 8, verse 15, God told Noah, Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out every living thing. Verse 18, so Noah went out, his sons and his wife's sons with them. So, sorry for covering so much scripture there. This is amazing to me. I guess you can tell. Through Noah's obedience, God purged the earth, and he repopulated it through Noah's family. In chapter, uh, in, in verse 18, it says, Now the sons of Noah went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Ham was the father of Canaan. This, when Noah's three sons went out, they each populated a different part of the earth. There were three sons of Noah, and from these, whole earth was populated. So is God speaking to your family about something that you've never done before? Noah had to think that this was a really, really strange idea. Maybe God is asking you to do something with your family. I just ask you to listen to what God is saying and be obedient to what he's doing. So what if? What if Noah had not led his family in obedience to God's instruction? I believe we could back over here to this verse where it talks about um, then the earth was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence to look upon the earth. And God had a plan to purge the earth and to repopulate it. He spoke to Noah about this plan, but Noah would not follow him. What if Noah had not followed that plan that God gave him? And I'm, I'm being dramatic. You think this is, you might think this is over the top. I'm trying to find out what my family, when pastor says God moves in families, this is what the Bible says, God's moving in Noah's family. God chose to use Noah's family to repopulate the earth. What if Donovan and Valerie, if you think this is being extreme, in, in another place, what if Donovan and Valerie would have said, one day God spoke to Donovan and Valerie and he said, I want you to go to Prairieville. And start a church, just like he spoke to Noah. And he said, I want you to go and build this big boat, and I want you to save the human race. Well, what if Donovan and Valerie had said, no, God, you know, I think they got some churches over there already. Uh, maybe you got the wrong place, or maybe you got the wrong people. Or what if he said, well, no, we don't really have enough money. But anyway, cutting to the chase, what if they didn't come, and what if they didn't start this church? Well, I wonder where my family and I would be tonight. So if you want to think it's extreme to talk about Noah, let's bring it on down and talk about the people in front of us 
that are responding to the word that God gives them. So as for you and your household, who will you serve? Moving to Acts 5. I'm uh, <coughs> hastening here. I'm, I'm trying to see how people respond to the word. So far we've seen quite a few people except for the rich young ruler who responded and did their best to comply with what God asked them to do. Acts 5. And verse 5, but a certain man named Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, sold his possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds. If we go to Acts, uh, actually this story begins in Acts 4 uh, and 32, but it basically says that in this early church in the first days, many of them were selling their possessions and giving their money to the church. And so Ananias and Sapphira says, wow, these people are listening to what God said. They're selling their stuff and they give it to the church. We think we need to do that also. So in verse 5, uh, but a certain man named, in chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira sold their possession. They kept back part of the proceeds. So without taking all the time to read every verse, they sold their possession. And Ananias went in and he said, okay, here's the proceeds from what we sold. And at that time, Peter answered and he said, Ananias, hearing these words, fell down. He said, why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men but to God. Ananias told him he sold his property for one thing, and he gave him a bit of money, and he kept back some of the other. And Peter said, why did you do this? And he said, where's your wife? His wife came in, and she told him the exact same story. They had conspired to this. And Peter said, the same people that just brought your husband out after he died, they're about to bring you out. This scripture I'm suggesting to you is not necessarily about money and whether they gave enough money. This is about being obedient to whether God, whether you're trying to do what it is that God asked you to do. Moving on to our next story, we have a couple more here, and we're going to um, talk just a little bit more about Joshua. Um, Lot was another man in the Bible who received some very specific instruction for his family, and I think it's very critical for us to look at what he did. M many of you know the story, and I won't go into all the details, but Abraham we know much about. Lot was his nephew, and they were working together, farming together. They had too much crops, too much animals, um, and their herds were overpowering, and they had to separate. So Lot said, uh, Abraham said, Lot, you choose which way you want to go. Lot chose the best ground of well-watered plains that was unfortunately toward an area that was pretty perverse. And so as the area around where Lot was living became more and more perverse, God decided again that he was going to purge this area and, and get rid of all this wickedness. So God sent <coughs> two angels to speak to Lot. When God speaks to our family, he does it in a lot of different ways. Sometimes he sends Donovan. Sometimes he sends a vision. Sometimes he sends someone else. But he uses all different ways to speak to our families. God sent an angel to speak to Lot and to tell him to get out of this area because he was about to destroy it. So I think it's worth us reading just a little bit of this um, scripture here in Genesis 19. And beginning at verse 14, so Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who had married his daughters and said, 
get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. Now, Lot, he's very blessed. He had so much, so many herds, so much crops. He's so blessed, he had to move to a totally different place and start in a bigger area. God speaks to him and says, get out. So he's going out to try to talk to his family to do what God asked him to do. But he says, but to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. I don't profess to know everything that that says, but it sounds like Lot didn't take this very seriously when he began speaking to his sons-in-law. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And verse 16, And while he lingered, what's Lot doing lingering here? We're just looking at another man who's trying, who's been spoken to by God, and he's responding. It doesn't seem that Lot is very sincere in what he's doing. It says his son-in-law thought he was joking, and now it says while he lingered, they took his hands and urged him to move on. The Lord, uh, being merciful to him, he he moved him on himself so he would be saved. And then they said, so it came to pass when they had brought him outside the city that. They told him, escape for your life. Do not look behind you nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains lest you be destroyed. Surely by now, Lot is getting the message. The angels here, he tells me to get out. Then Lot said to them, please know, my lords. Indeed, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown by me my saving my life. I cannot escape to the mountains. Let me go to this little city that's close by here. Wow, when God speaks to us about doing something, if he talks to us about worshiping more, do we give it a, a little halfway effort? If he talks to us about giving, if he speaks to you about making a particular commitment and giving, do we try to negotiate with him or do we hesitate or do we linger like Lot did here? I'm hoping that we do not. But the sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zor, this little city that he talked God into letting him go to. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities and, and what grew on the ground. But his wife looked back behind him and she became a pillar of salt. I'm going into a lot of detail here. I'm sorry if um, this is too much detail for you, but as I see it, Lot was a very blessed man. God was trying to use him to do some things. He didn't accomplish what God asked him to do. He didn't convince his son-in-laws to get out of the city. He apparently was lackadaisical in what he did with his wife, and she looked back. Many say that she probably went back, and she became a pillow of salt. So in all of this, when God looks down and he sees Lot and he's trying to do work and he sends angels to speak to Lot. Lot doesn't respond. Lot's wife was not with him. She was lost. Lot's sons-in-law were not with him when they were lost. So they went up out of Zor and they went on into the, to the land adjacent after God rained fire and brimstone on this city and, and demolished it. So I just pause for a moment to say, I'm hastening here. We have just a couple of other scriptures. But what if Lot's wife and his sons-in-law would not have been lost? You see, in the end of this uh, chapter, in verse 36, there's some horrible things that happen here. I don't even want to go into those. That, since, we're, since we're short on time, I'll skip that part. But just suffice it to say, Lot's family evolved in a very, very unusual way. 
And it says in verse 37, the firstborn of his daughters bore a son. It was only Lot and his two daughters that were left. His wife did not make it. He did not convince her and his sons-in-law. So the firstborn bore a son called his name Moab. We will see these people right here again in another verse we read in a minute. But she had a child and his name was Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. And the younger, she also bore a son and called him Ben Ammon. He is the father of the Ammon, Ammonites to this day. So what if Lot's wife and his sons-in-law would not have been lost? The history of the children of Israel would have been so much different. You will see in a moment the problem that Moab and Ben Ammi caused the children of Israel forever, all because Lot was not successful in influencing his family. Some easier Chapters here, two more, and we're going to wrap up. <coughs> Job is a very influential character in the Bible that most of you know much about. Job also has a story with his family that I think is very significant. There was a man, uh, save all the, the, the backstory here, but Job in the first chapter, it talks about Job, uh, who was a man that was blameless and upright, who feared God. I see a trend here. God is finding people who were doing their best to serve him, who are good people and doing a lot, but yet God calls them out to do a lot more. And we're seeing how they respond. But So I'm just telling you, I'm, I'm not trying to, to say that you all are not doing what you uh, think is right with your families, but I'm just telling you, pastor is preaching to us that God wants to move in families, and I believe he's going to use our families to do a great work. I'm trying to just show you how these people respond. But... Um, Talking about Job here, it says in verse 2, and um, God, and he feared God and shunned evil, and seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Seven sons and three daughters. Also, his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household. That this man was the greatest of all the people of the east, and his sons would go and feast in their houses. This is Job's family that we're talking about now. His sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, rotated around, and would send and invite the three sisters to eat and drink of them. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be, just per chance, I'm doing all I can to serve God. And the scripture even says he was blameless, and he taught his Children, he thought they were doing this. Perchance, some of us have accidentally and unintentionally sinned. I'm going to give this offering. If, if it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts, I'm offering sacrifice for them. So all was well with Job. He was the greatest man. He was blessed. His family was doing well. Yet he prayed regularly and asked for God to take care of his family. You know that. Things went bad for Job quickly. In verse 13, and there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job and said, the oxygen were plowing, the donkeys feeding beside. When the Satanists raided them and took them away, indeed they have killed the servants, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came, the fire of God fell and burned up the sheep and the servants. Then another one came, they raided the camels and took them away. And verse 18 says, talks about Job's family. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, 
and it fell on the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell. Then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshiped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. So, what else? But Job was a good man. He was blameless, and he was praying for his children. Why did all of his family die? Every one of them, all seven daughters, all seven sons and three daughters. So sometimes there are disappointments in the way that things develop with our families. This is an important part of analyzing and, and, and planning to deal with our families. But when that happens, we are tempted to give up on our family members. We're tempted to give up on our families. But here you see that Job did not do that. If we move quickly along, after Job went through a long time of mourning, and you, if any of you that have read any of this, you know he spent d days and weeks talking to his friends. But at the end, in verse 9, it says he talked to his friends, uh, and the Lord commanded them, for the Lord had accepted Job. And then it says, and the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then all his brothers, all his sisters, and all of those who had been in his house, acquaintances, came to him and ate food with him. They consoled and comforted him, and then to the good part. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. He also had seven sons and three daughters. And he called the name of them. He goes into what he called them. In all the land were found no women so beautiful as the daughters of Job. After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his children and his grandchildren. Now the, the older generation uh, can help me out here. Job saw his children and his grandchildren for four generations. Job was responding to what God was telling him to do. And I just pause here to say, when something really negative happens in your family, don't give up on them. And I don't want to embarrass anybody, so I'm, I'm going to be very brief in this. But in this congregation, we've seen a circumstance just in the last few weeks where there was one family member that was distracted for a time, and the family wasn't happy. But the parents did not give up on this child. They continued to believe. They continued to do just what God asked them to do. Matter of fact, one, on one occasion, that family member that was distracted was in town. And they brought that family member to church. They hugged that family member. They kissed that family member. They brought them here. And on that exact same day, God sent Caleb Hill to come here and preach a word that reached that family member. That family member and all of its family are now in the house. Tonight, they're somewhere worshiping God. I'm just telling you, there's going to be some negative things that come in your family. Believe me, all of us have seen a few as we've moved along. Pastor says it. I'm just here showing you what happens in these scriptures right here and with the family examples that we have in the scripture. I'm hastening. I, you know, I talk a lot about sports. I know a little, as I understand, um, the NBA finals are going right now. I watch one of these games every now and then, not much, but I, I'm not sure. I guess it was the first game in the finals. Apparently the game was tied, and there was less than five seconds to go, and one team, I didn't see this, but I read the headline, 
one team member got the rebound and apparently should have made a shot or given it to somebody to make a shot, but they didn't. And so then the part that I just read this headline and the part that got my attention, apparently they were uh, asking LeBron about it. And maybe they were giving LeBron the opportunity to throw his teammate under the bus. And I didn't see the interview, but I just read that he said, I don't give up on my teammates. I don't know who you pulled for. It doesn't really matter to me, but that gets me. This family that I'm telling you about in their church, they didn't give up on their teammate. You see, somebody might say, well, yeah, that's okay. LeBron, he's just trying to be cool or whatever. Well, you know, I think it goes much deeper than that. And I think it applies to me and my family. Because LeBron knows it's not just about what happened in that game one. I believe that was game one. It's not just about that game and who gets credit and whether we're going to throw this boy under the bus and we're going to give up on him. But LeBron knows one other thing that applies to my family. Next game, he's got to play with that guy too. The family that God gave me, they're going to be with me forever. I'm not throwing one of my team members on. I'm not giving up on my family. There's some people in my family that have done some things I didn't even understand. They even accused me of doing some things they didn't understand. But they didn't throw me under the bus. They said they're not going to give up on their team member. Why did God choose families? Maybe because of this right here. Maybe because God knew when he calls the Butler family out to go do something, if Anthony really, really messes it up, his family's not going to kick him off the team. They're not going to throw him under the bus. They're going to they're gonna sleep on him. They're going to get up the next day and go do what God asked them to do. <coughs> we go back to our verse that we started with here, uh, and I'll close out quickly. Thanks for your patience tonight. In Joshua 24, folks, that reading helped us get here, so. This is likely the most well-known passage in the Bible concerning the instruction for families to serve God. And chapter 23, I won't spend a lot of time going into all the life of Joshua. It's deep and it's great. I would encourage you to read it. The book of Joshua is rich. But in chapter 23, the caption on my Bible says, Joshua's farewell address to the leaders. So basically Joshua was, let me read this. Um, I'm just so reluctant to skip over this, but Joshua was, bo was born in Egypt when the Israelites were slaves there. He left Egypt when they came out, and as God had the Israelites wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, that's when Moses sent 12 spies into the land of Canaan, and only two of them came back. Caleb and Joshua came back and said, we can take it. That's the land you gave us. We can take it. This is the man that made that claim. All the other ten, we don't even know what their names were, but all of them were with the rest of those that circled in the desert for 40 years. And God's plan was to let them circle until they all died, except these two families right here. And Joshua led them in. But the book of Joshua goes through all the all 24 chapters, go through what Joshua did in the land of Canaan as he was conquering that land. But at the end, 
he is giving a farewell address to the leaders, and he, he makes these statements that we read earlier. And along the way, as I told you earlier, it talks about some things that happened while he was conquering that land and, and advancing for the children of Israel. And it says in verse, 19, in verse 9, when Balak, son of Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, he sent Balaam, son of Bor, to put a curse on you. This is some of those people that weren't supposed to be. If the family of Lot had, if Lot had been successful in leading his families, those people wouldn't have been there. But they put a curse over it, both of them. But at this point in time, Joshua has said, okay, many of you knew God from a long time ago, and you stayed true, and you understand what this is about. Since we've been over here in Canaan, there have been a lot of other gods. There have been a lot of other idols. There have been people that have served a lot of other things. Some of you have been distracted. My time is over. I'm about to die, but I'm giving you this final address. And he said in verse 15, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve whether the ancestors of those on the other side of the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. I'm just asking you tonight, as for you and your household, who will you serve? Joshua was used mightily of God, and he made this statement that has become the rallying cry for all of family. So I, if you would, let's all just come around the front, and I want us to spend just a moment uh, consecrating our families and, and positioning ourselves where that God can use us. But, you know, actually God has been talking to me about this topic for several weeks, and um, as I told you, when I hear a pastor talking about God moving in families, this grips me because God's blessed my family, and he's called my family to do some things that were difficult for us at times, we've tried to do them. I'm proposing new and, and deciding all anew that I'm going to make every effort to do what it is that God has called me to do. But, you know, just two or three weeks ago, uh, Isabella was over here getting baptized. That, that was about three weeks ago. How old is Isabella? Six. And so at that time, this topic was on my mind, and I saw josh over here and i saw julie over here and i saw cynthia over here and i saw rachel over here and here's the six-year-old and we've had so many of these children that got baptized lately uh, i'm thinking is this the way god is moving in families right here but i'm just so moved by this topic uh, i want us all to say a prayer here uh, and, and our, our musicians could go ahead and, and sing and we'll uh I'd just like to have a time of consecration. And I know I've been long, but I thought it was important for us to look at these families. And I just sense that God is going to use these families. Pastor is leading us to the next level. We have to have more people to do the work here. And I believe it's going to be through families. So what is it that he's going to ask your family to do next? But I just want us to consecrate ourselves.